Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Mod Pod. If things sound a bit different this month, it's not you, it's us. We're doing our civic duty and practicing social distancing, so all parts of this episode have been recorded off-site. We hope you're faring well with whatever adjustments you've had to make as we all deal with this COVID-19 pandemic. The March issue of Modern Optometry, which is available online at modernod.com, took a special focus on cornea and anterior segment disease, and we have two articles on the topic for you in this episode. The first is from Charles Roseman of the Cleveland Eye Clinic in Ohio. Corneal ectasia is both a contraindication and a potential consequence of refractive surgery. Here, Dr. Roseman talks specifically about how the use of multiple imaging modalities and sensible patient selection criteria can reduce the risk of this group of uncommon non-inflammatory eye disorders. Corneal refractive surgery, LASIK, PRK, SMILE, is one of the most popular elective surgeries in the world, and with good reason. It is one of the safest and most efficacious surgical procedures with remarkable satisfaction rates of 96%. Despite this overwhelming success, complications occasionally arise. One of the most feared and most vision-threatening issues that may occur is postoperative corneal ectasia. Ectasia is a rare complication of corneal refractive surgery occurring in just 0.04 to 0.6% of procedures. One large study found that 96% of cases of ectasia occurred as a result of LASIK and 4% as a result of PRK. Postoperative corneal ectasia results from a loss of biomechanical integrity of the cornea with subsequent thinning and steepening of the tissue. In LASIK, the stromal flap is functionally decoupled from the cornea and no longer provides tensile strength. This is of no consequence for most patients, but a certain subset of individuals may have predisposing factors that make them more likely to develop ectasia. SMILE is thought to reduce the incidence of ectasia in comparison with LASIK through its greater maintenance of anterior lamellar fibers. This theory is supported by mathematical models that predict a stronger postoperative tensile strength with SMILE compared to LASIK and PRK. Despite this, cases of ectasia after SMILE have been reported. There may never be a way to completely eliminate this complication. Some individuals who undergo refractive surgery may have developed an ectatic condition such as keratoconus even in the absence of a corneal procedure. Nevertheless, with improved screening protocols, enhanced understanding of corneal biomechanics, and judicious application of patient selection criteria, we can strive to reduce the incidence of postoperative ectasia as much as possible. Patients susceptible for the development of ectasia must be identified preoperatively. These individuals are intending to proceed with an elective procedure that they expect will improve their vision and their lives. We must be diligent in identifying those at higher risk for complications. There is no infallible or universally agreed upon screening protocol to entirely eliminate postoperative ectasia development, but use of multiple imaging modalities and sensible patient selection criteria can reduce the risk for this potentially sight-threatening event. Patient age and refractive error should be considered before any screening tests are performed. Younger age has been associated with increased risk for ectasia. It's possible that the inverse relationship between age and risk for ectasia is due to the natural age-related increase in stromal cross-linking and subsequent corneal stiffening. 
Refractive error must be considered in conjunction with corneal thickness to determine if the patient will have an adequate residual stromal bed thickness. Approximately 15 microns of stromal tissue is ablated for every diopter of myopia correction, and a low residual stromal bed thickness increases the risk for postoperative ectasia. Recently, percentage of tissue altered, PTA, has been proposed as a metric for calculating ectasia risk in individuals undergoing corneal refractive surgery. PTA is calculated as a combined flap thickness and ablation depth divided by central corneal thickness. Any value greater than 40% represents an increased ectasia risk. Corneal imaging is a crucial component of preoperative screening. Sensitive technologies to assess corneal structure should be used to identify findings that may increase risk for ectasia. Corneal tomography imaging with devices such as the Pentacam or OrbScan produce a 3D image that characterizes the anterior and posterior corneal curvature as well as thickness distribution. These devices also provide indices using different corneal characteristics that assist in the identification of individuals who may be at increased risk for ectasia after refractive surgery. Epithelial thickness mapping via anterior segment spectral domain OCT may also be useful in identifying patients with early changes associated with keratoconus and those at risk of developing postoperative ectasia. Thicker than average epithelium, highly irregular epithelial thickness distribution, and thin epithelium over a keratoconic protrusion are indicative of early ectatic changes that may not be evident with other imaging technologies. Clinicians must never rely solely on one measurement or data point in determining suitability for corneal refractive surgery or ectasia risk. Rather, we must make use of all relevant data and demographic information in the decision-making process. It is important to take a cautious approach and consider alternatives to corneal refractive surgery, such as a lens-based procedure, for patients at risk for postoperative ectasia. My post-refractive surgery patients, they're often the easiest exams I'll have all day. They're generally young, healthy, and see exceptionally well. On the uncommon occasion when the patient isn't doing as well as expected, we must investigate to identify the cause. Decreased uncorrected visual acuity with an increase in myopia or astigmatism may easily be mistaken for simple treatment regression. Epithelial thickness mapping may be a useful tool in identifying early ectasia in these cases. Myopic regression will demonstrate thickening in the central zone corresponding to the flattened region of the cornea following myopic laser refractive surgery. Conversely, Corneal ectasia will reveal thinning of the epithelium over the steepest portion of the cornea. It is of the utmost importance to differentiate regression from ectasia as retreatment of an ectatic cornea will hasten progression. Other findings suggestive of ectasia include decreased best corrected visual acuity and topographic irregularities such as irregular stigmatism and focal corneal thinning or steepening. In advanced cases, topographic findings become indistinguishable from keratoconus or pellucid marginal degeneration. When ectasia is identified, the first goal in management is to halt its progression. Corneal crosslinking increases stromal rigidity and has demonstrated efficacy in stopping the progression of post-refractive surgery ectasia. 
After progression of ectasia has been halted, vision must be addressed. We have many options to correct an individual's vision depending on the degree of corneal irregularity. Glasses and soft contact lenses may be considered in mild ectasia. However, this is usually inadequate for most cases of ectasia, given the high incidence of irregular astigmatism. Rigid gas permeable lenses are often the first treatment option for irregular astigmatism. One study found that 80% of ectatic eyes were successfully managed with RGP lenses. Hybrid lenses have also been shown to be beneficial for irregular astigmatism, and they may improve comfort in those intolerant of traditional RGP lenses. Scleral lenses have proven invaluable in the management of irregular astigmatism and are often a great asset in individuals who cannot be adequately fit or who cannot tolerate RGP or hybrid lenses. The use of intrastromal corneal ring segments, ICRS, for post-refractive surgery ectasia is controversial. Panero et al. demonstrated improved best corrected visual acuity, decreased astigmatism, corneal flattening, and reduced higher order aberrations at six months after ICRS implantation, but these benefits did not persist at the one-year time point. Additionally, the presence of an ICRS may make the fitting of scleral lenses more challenging. Corneal transplant is a treatment of last resort for postoperative ectasia. Deep anterior lamellar keratoplasty has largely replaced penetrating keratoplasty as the procedure of choice for these patients, as the lamellar procedure is associated with a lower risk of graft rejection. Approximately 8% of patients who develop ectasia postoperatively will require a transplant. It is to be hoped that this number will decrease with earlier detection and with the use of corneal cross-linking to stabilize irregular corneas. The second article from the March cover focus is Tales of Corneal Clarity by Bita Asgari, a Boston Site Pros provider at Boston Site in Needham, Massachusetts, and an adjunct clinical faculty at Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences University School of Optometry in Worcester, Massachusetts, and Scott G. Halsworth, an assistant professor at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus in Aurora, Colorado. Listen next as Dr. Asgari discusses the management of significant limbal stem cell deficiency with topical immunomodulating medication and scleral lenses. The limbus is a vital region of the oculus surface, the border between the cornea and the conjunctiva. Histologically, it can be defined by two borders that are approximately 1 to 2 millimeters apart, the anterior border being the line between the ending of Bowman membrane and decime membrane, and the posterior border being the line perpendicular to the surface of the globe that is centered on the scleral spur. Within this region is a wide variety of cells, including melanocytes, Langerhan cells, transient amplifying cells, and limbal stem cells. Limbal stem cells are adult stem cells that further differentiate into corneal epithelial cells for wound repair and preservation of normal homeostasis to maintain transparency of the cornea. When the limbal stem cells are damaged, the barrier function of the limbus becomes compromised, leading to corneal neovascularization, loss of corneal clarity, and scarring. These are considered the hallmark signs of limbal stem cell deficiency. This article will briefly explain how to recognize limbal stem cell deficiency and outline some options for managing patients with the disease. Limbal stem cell deficiency is a pathologic condition 
in which there is damage to or dysfunction of the limbal stem cells. The loss of the barrier function of the limbal stem cells causes conjunctival epithelial cells to migrate to the cornea. This process of conjunctivalization of the corneal surface results in the growth of abnormal vessels or neovascularization, altering the normally avascular cornea. Clinically, the cornea and limbal stem cell deficiency may appear neovascularized, opaque, keratinized, calcified, or scarred. This irregularity also causes an alteration of the normal epithelium and overlying glycocalyx and results in an unstable tear film. Sodium fluorescein staining will show a whorl or vortex pattern in the epithelium that extends centripetally from areas of limbal stem cell dysfunction. Diagnosing limbal stem cell deficiency is primarily clinical and can be supported with testing. The presence of goblet cells among the conjunctiva-derived cells on the corneal surface indicates conjunctivalization and is considered pathognomonic of limbal stem cell deficiency. Goblet cells on the corneal surface can be detected via impression cytology or with confocal microscopy. Pathologic mechanisms of limbal stem cell deficiency can be primary or secondary. Primary limbal stem cell deficiency is caused by genetic or genetically programmed loss of limbal stem cells and is associated with conditions such as aniridia and ectodermal dysplasia. Secondary or acquired pathology is caused by loss of the limbal microenvironment that is essential for limbal stem cell survival. Acquired limbal stem cell deficiency can be due to external factors such as chemical or thermal trauma, iatrogenic injury from surgery, and inflammation from ocular surface disease. Limbal stem cell deficiency is commonly seen in conditions such as Stevens-Johnson syndrome, graft-versus-host disease, and mucous membrane pemphigoid. Other secondary causes of limbal stem cell deficiency include drug-induced toxicity, neurotrophic keratopathy, ocular surface tumors, microbial infection, and abuse of soft contact lenswear, which often goes unrecognized and undiagnosed. Limbal stem cell deficiency can also be associated with systemic conditions, including Turner syndrome, lacrimal auriculodentodigital syndrome, and xeroderma pigmentosum. Patients with limbal stem cell deficiency can experience a range of symptoms related to poor epithelial wound healing and subsequent potential recurrent erosions or persistent epithelial defects. In mild cases, signs and symptoms may consist of blurred vision, increased irritation, and conjunctival redness. In severe cases, patients may experience photophobia and pain, and the epithelium's inability to heal may result in corneal melting and perforation. The management of limbal stem cell deficiency may be geared towards the degree of deficiency noted. So in mild and moderate limbal stem cell deficiency, the principal goals include improving comfort, decreasing inflammation, and optimizing visual function. In the severe disease, restoration of the limbal stem cells via transplantation can be considered. Foundational therapy focuses on maintaining support of the ocular surface through lubrication and the reduction of inflammation. Conventional foundational treatments include lubricant eye drops, topical cyclosporin, and topical steroids. Elimination of chronic insult to the limbal region and to the existing limbal stem cells is essential for rehabilitation. For example, when limbal stem cell deficiency is noted in contact lens wearers, discontinuation of contact lens wear along with foundational therapy is recommended. 
For moderate cases with a large area of limbal stem cell deficiency, more advanced pharmaceutical therapy, as well as autologous serum tears, amniotic membrane, and banded soft contact lenses can be added to the steps of foundational therapy. Patients with severe limbal stem cell deficiency who have loss of the limbal architecture and conjunctivalization of the cornea may be candidates for surgical repair. It is important to note that corneal transplantation in the absence of restoration of a functional limbal stem cell unit predisposes the new cornea to failure. To address this, the surgeon may consider also performing limbal stem cell transplantation via techniques such as keratolimbal allografts, simple limbal epithelial transplant, and other approaches. In addition, keratoprosthesis surgery is another option for those who have near total limbal stem cell deficiency and are in need of corneal surgery. Scleral lenses may also be used to improve comfort, support corneal healing, and optimize vision in patients with limbal stem cell deficiency. Management of limbal stem cell deficiency with scleral lenses can allow patients to delay or avoid more aggressive surgical intervention. Patients with secondary limbal stem cell deficiency in the setting of conjunctival disease, like Stevens-Johnson syndrome or mucous membrane pemphigoid, often experience exacerbated symptoms due to the interaction between the diseased conjunctival tissue and the highly innervated cornea, leading to pronounced corneal dryness, tear film dysfunction, and pain. Scleral lenses can improve comfort, reduce photophobia, prevent epithelial breakdown, and improve vision by supporting the ocular surface, by holding fluid against the cornea, by acting as a barrier between the cornea and disease conjunctiva, and by providing a smooth refractive surface. As such, scleral lenses should be considered for patients with limbal stem cell deficiency when they have not responded to other conventional therapies. Rosenthal and Crotu evaluated the benefits of scleral lens wear in 232 eyes diagnosed with corneal stem cell disorders, 210 of which were due to Stevens-Johnson syndrome. In that study, 13 of 22 eyes referred for treatment of persistent epithelial defects had associated limbal stem cell deficiency. All of the patients experienced relief of pain and photophobia expressly those with conjunctival coronization and cicatricial changes. It was noted that, although the presence of bulbar conjunctival scarring, shortened fornices, and some blepharon complicated the fitting process, they did not prevent the scleral lens fitting. Long-term benefits of scleral lens wear in patients with limbal stem cell deficiency have also been reported. In one published case, reversal of corneal opacification due to corneal neovascularization was observed in an eye with limbal stem cell deficiency and neurotrophic keratopathy over a three-year period of daily wear of PROS lenses. Regression in corneal opacity and neovascularization occurs when the ocular surface integrity is maintained with reduced inflammation, which leads to stromal remodeling. Scleral lenses provide a corneal environment that supports healing and protects the surface by serving as a barrier potentiating stromal remodeling and regression in corneal neovascularization. Although regression in corneal opacity and neovascularization has been documented and observed clinically, this does not occur in all limbal stem cell deficiency eyes with scleral lens wear. The primary goal of scleral lens wear in limbal stem cell deficiency is to stabilize the epithelium and prevent epithelial breakdown. Clinically, 
we have recognized significant benefits of prescribing scleral lenswear as a treatment for patients with limbal stem cell deficiency, including halting progression of the disease, promoting corneal epithelialization, and reversing corneal neovascularization and scarring. Prescription of scleral contact lenses should be considered to reduce ocular pain, improve visual function, and prolong the need for surgical intervention in patients with limbal stem cell deficiency. Currently, there is limited literature to support the full understanding of limbal stem cell function as it relates to scleral lenswear. Furthermore, long-term monitoring and investigation of how eyes with limbal stem cell deficiency of varying etiologies respond to scleral lenses and why some patients continue to progress despite intervention is needed. Of course, we couldn't get through the month of March without addressing the topic of allergies. Cecilia Ketting, the Referral Optometric Care and Externship Program Coordinator at Virginia Eye Consultants in Norfolk, Virginia, has a great article on the role of allergy testing in eye care and what in-office testing options are available. At some point in each of our lives, we will likely deal with an allergy, food, medication, environmental, or otherwise. Allergies continue to change throughout our lives as we grow out of some and into others. When we consider our patients' ocular complaints, it is important to keep allergies in mind as a cause or contributing factor. In diagnosing and treating our patients, allergy testing is a helpful tool that often gets overlooked. Until recently, few allergy testing options were available for in-office use by primary eye care providers, but that is changing. This can be a boon for our practices and for our patients with ocular allergies. A good patient history is vital in diagnosing and treating patients, but we often must turn to testing to aid in this. There are multiple reasons to consider allergy testing. The most obvious is a patient presenting with ocular signs and symptoms of allergies, itchy, watery, painful, swollen, red, or burning eyes. Ocular allergy includes disorders affecting the eyelid and conjunctiva, seasonal and perennial allergic conjunctivitis, contact blepharoconjunctivitis, and vernal and atopic keratoconjunctivitis. Typically, the cause is either environmental allergy or a reaction to a topical agent, an ocular medication, a preservative, or component of makeup. Some allergic reactions are mediated by immunoglobulin E and others are not. Allergy testing can help us to understand what our patients may be allergic to and advise them regarding how to eliminate or decrease their exposure. Testing can also help to indicate if the patient may be benefit from aggressive treatment, such as injections. Another time to consider allergy testing is in the management of the patients with dry eye. It is important to remember that the signs and symptoms of allergies and dryness overlap. Both can coexist, exacerbating the symptoms of each other. Patients who think that they may have allergies, even though they don't, may add to their dry eye symptoms by self-medicating with systemic antihistamines that they do not need. Environmental allergies and food allergies should be considered in patients with chronic inflammatory problems. Food allergies and sensitivities can induce or worsen inflammation within the body. Typically, a food elimination diet or allergy testing can aid in diagnosing these problems. Patients with inflammatory bowel disease, which includes ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, can experience ocular manifestations, including episcleritis, scleritis, iritis, and dry eye disease. In one study assessing the association of IBD with DED, 22% of patients with IBD also had dry eye disease, whereas only 11% of control patients without IBD had dry eye disease. 
Few options for allergy testing are available to the primary care eye provider. Among them are skin prick testing and serum-specific IgE testing. Until recently, the only other option was to refer patients to an allergist. At present, testing for food allergies and full panels of environmental allergens still only available through an allergist. But there now exist two options for testing for environmental allergens that can be performed in our own offices. One is Doctors RX Allergy Formula. This is FDA approved diagnostic test was developed by an ophthalmologist. It offers 39 separate panels developed for each different regions of the United States. Each panel tests for 58 different allergens along with two controls. The test is administered in approximately three minutes with a plastic disposable skin prick applicators. No needles or shots needed. After 15 minutes, the patient's results can be read and the allergens are identified can be discussed with the patients. Most insurance plans reimburse for this test. Another in-office allergy testing option assesses for 58 allergens along with two controls. This FDA-approved skin prick test takes approximately 10 to 15 minutes to administer. The company also offers customized sublingual immunotherapy based on each patient's allergen testing results. Before office allergy testing is conducted, the patient should be given a list of medications and supplements to discontinue in order for the test to be valid. This will typically include antihistamines, sleep aids, nasal steroid sprays, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, some antacids, and some other medications. Most of these should be stopped approximately three to seven days before testing. For patients who have been taking daily oral antihistamines chronically for more than one year, these should be stopped more than two weeks before testing. In this age of continually changing and improving medical technology, it is important to know what is available and how to incorporate it into our clinics. Allergy testing can be a valuable tool in many cases. Once allergens have been identified or ruled out, we are better equipped to make medical and lifestyle recommendations to help our patients. If you have time and want more MOD, visit modernod.com. As always, we invite you to reach out to us with your ideas and feedback. Drop us a line anytime at kroman at bmctoday.com. Before we go, we're excited to tell you about a new meeting for a new era of care. Taking place this September 25th through 27th at the Lowe's Philadelphia Hotel, the BMC Vision Summit will bring together medically-minded optometrists, as well as ophthalmologists, students, residents, and fellows for an innovative meeting experience. The summit will feature a modern optometry live track and will offer CE credits to OD attendees. Visit bmcsummit.com for more information. Additional details and updates to come. See you back here next month and stay healthy.